Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts. Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, and, and uh, Chase is with me. Chase, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we got a great newsletter this this week. I mean, there's so much stuff in it, and what we do is we, we generally pull out a few things from the news that I talk about here on the show. But it was such a hard time trying to decide what to talk about this week. And maybe we won't get many calls to talk about more things. We usually pull about three or four things to talk about. But a lot of stuff happened this past week. A lot of stuff, absolutely. And, you know, always here as well to to take your calls at at the, you know, probably after 20, 25 minutes or so here. Uh, You want to join the show. Phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, 833-288-0973. 0973. You got a stock you're looking at. Again, we still think 2023, we've had a, 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 I'm going to say a nice little run up to start the year, but we still think there's a lot of great opportunities out there. Don't just be sitting in cash waiting for another big drop. Things could go lower, but I still think, again, look two, three years down the road, I, I think you're going to find some great opportunities. And, and you just can't be worried about that bottom because it just never pays off for you. Exactly. And and we, we do many things when people come in for a consultation. By the way, we had a, a great workshop on Thursday. If you missed it, we'll have another one in uh, three months. But but always remember, if you're just not happy with what you have, you're concerned and you you don't know why you should be investing now, we, we do free consultations uh, it would not, you know, high pressure will come in and we'll show you how we do things. And if you like it, great. We'd love to have you as a client. Uh, if you want to come in for that free consultation, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or you can call the office 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. I say that because, again, we won't have another uh, workshop to I think April sometime in April I don't think we have the date yet do we have the date yet in April I want to say it's like April 20th or something but yeah. uh, I think we preliminarily put it on there but we haven't confirmed that yeah yeah so well, well let's talk about uh, what uh, happened this past week that uh, we pulled out and uh, inflation well it's a big news on the inflation front as uh, the producer price index in December showed a monthly decline of 0.5 percent uh, versus the estimate for a decline of 0.1 percent Year over year, the index showed an increase of 6.2%, which is the lowest annual increase since March 2021 and is far from the high in March 2022 of 11.7%. This is a major positive for over a year now. I've been saying the CPI won't come down until the PPI come down. Well, as producers have needed to pay the past higher costs, well, play them out to the consumer as well. We're in a good situation there. Yeah, I know we've talked about this a lot where producers aren't just saying, oh, our costs went up. That sucks for us. They got to still keep their margins and still maintain profits. Mm-hmm. So that's continuing to, to be passed on the consumer is the point there. It, the problem that I did see in the report, though, is energy was a major benefit as the energy index fell 7.9% in the month 
And gasoline in particular, well, that was down 13.4%. So that really helped that PPI number. And given the current landscape, I do expect energy prices to increase from current levels, but not enough to make a dramatic difference to the inflation report. So uh, again, I think energy is going to go back up, but I don't think it's enough for a year-over-year comparison, like a 50% gain or anything like that, to, to really alter the report like we saw in 2022. Now, overall, this report gives me confidence in the estimate that we've had that we will see inflation in a range of four to six percent for 2023 and i was reading last night in the wall street journal and i forget the gentleman's name very, very gosh i, I want to remember his name because he was saying by the end of the year he sees a pce under three percent or two to three percent is what he yeah. said which is what the, the fed looks at so uh positive there was well, somebody like he was i think he was a former fed person or somebody that was like i was just surprised that he was like kind of on the same side we are that we'll see that by the end of the year so inflation i think this year will be not the big story uh unfortunately and we'll talk more about it but uh, the debt ceiling i think is gonna be the what's rattling the markets yeah and I, I think it is interesting again it, it drives me crazy and i think i talked about this last week but on the news where they're like inflation is still three times the fed's target no, it's not. You're looking at the CPI. <laughs> the Fed's looking at PCE. Let's let's wait and see what the PCE number is because, again, we've talked about how that trails compared to the CPI. So, again, it's just trying to scare people out of investing, and it, it's just, I think, the wrong thing for people. And you got to ignore just all this, this silliness and the noise and, and look at the numbers here. And I, I will say, I, I do think the market, the treasury market, the stock market is wrong. I, right now, I still think people are baking in a cut right near the end of the year i do not see the fed cutting rates at all in 2023 now if they do go overboard maybe they'll cut at the back end of the year but i I, right now i think if they increase maybe a quarter percent and then another quarter percent i don't think you'll see a cut at the end of the year and i don't agree necessarily with the quarter point increases but i just still don't see any reason why they would cut because i still think inflation if it's at 2 to 3% let's say unless unemployment spiked to 7% which i don't see that happening there would be no reason to cut interest rates yeah and, and that's an important part because you say no cut is because you don't see them going up dramatically on the increases if they do go up dramatically on the increases yeah we could have a cut so you know sometimes people say oh they're going to cut or they're not going to cut you've got to understand the full picture not just the the end part because we do believe they'll will, will not cut because they're not going to go that high <clears throat> maybe two more increases then done yeah <clears throat> and they would not cut from that so yeah and i i, I think you got to be careful because that's one reason I believe the NASDAQ has rallied so much to start the year, you know, I, I'm going to pick on Kathy Wood here. Her ARC fund is actually up like 20% so far this year, but she's still down, I think, like 60%, 70% from the highs. So uh, be careful looking at that news. But I think those stocks have rallied because of the optimism of maybe a Fed cut near the end of the year. There's just no reason, in my opinion, I think interest rates on the, the 10-year note, for example, mm-hmm. is still way too low. I think that needs to increase based because you got to remember the, the, the 10-year note is still based off the market. Of people yeah. trading it's not like the fed saying we want the 10-year note to be four <laughs> percent it's still based off supply and demand at the end of the day and i, I think uh, right now people are wrong and I, I think interest rates are gonna go up on that 10-year note because it, it the inflation is still here and it's right. here to stay but i think we need to find that sweet spot of where we're going to be 
And I think we're too low on the 10-year note, but I also think the Fed needs to be careful to not go too far on the short-term rates as well. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of things going to happen this year. And again, it's, uh, what, the third week of January here. So that's what we're here for to kind of keep you on track. And things will change. Uh, so that's what we're here for. Talk about the change. Let's talk about consumer spending because retail sales for December fell 1.1% compared to the prior month. This missed the estimate of 0.8%. Looking at the results compared to last December, retail sales climbed 6%. Uh, this did not keep pace with a CPI increase in the month of 6.5%, which likely means most, if not all, of the growth in retail sales was a function of higher prices. Areas that saw good growth compared to the prior year include non-store retailers, as they were up 13.7%. Food services and drinking places were up 12.1%, and grocery stores were up 7.3%. Now, with lower gas prices in the month, gas stations saw a month-over-month -month decline of 4.6%, but compared to last December, sales were still 5.2% higher. And then areas that struggled in the month continue to be electronics and appliances as sales fell 5.6%. Department stores saw a decline of 0.6%, and then furniture and home furnishing stores, well, they had a small gain of just 0.3%. That, that area has also struggled over the last several months. I would say this report wasn't good, but again, it wasn't overly concerning. It appears consumers are still spending, but continue to prefer those experiences rather than the products they loaded up on during COVID. And we talked about this before, but you buy a couch, you buy a bed, you buy a refrigerator during COVID. You don't need one two years later. <laughs> well, maybe a couch if you bought a cheap one. You yeah, might. <laughs> but you know what's funny is that, you know, gas stations, gas prices down 4.6%. It seems like it would be down more than that. That doesn't seem like very much. But, um, I, I mean, that's the numbers, and that is a nationwide thing. But when you kind of look at it, because I remember gas was very close to hitting 7. And now I, I went to Arco and Ranch Bernardo, and I think I paid 419 for the credit card price uh, last night. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely come down quite a bit. And I, I, again, we've talked about this before as well, but the reason we still see energy prices going higher is we're still waiting for China to reopen. Mm -hmm. The SPR, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, well, I, I hope we're done releasing oil from there. <laughs> <laughs> I but, believe we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, things can change. That's, that's my concern, <laughs> especially if oil prices go back up. Maybe that'll be the strategy to try and push them lower again, which, uh, again, Silly. But the, the thing that I look at is I just don't see any major catalyst to push oil and gas prices even lower. Right. I think it's much more likely they go higher as there's a, a lot of kind of factors out there that, that should drive those prices higher. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's more likely to see oil at 80 to 100 than to see it at 50 to 70. Yeah. So and right now I think it's around 80. I think that's what I saw on Friday. But um, yeah, and, and and again, you talk about the, the strategic uh, reserves. They talked about buying back oil. Uh, you got China opening. So there could be pressure on oil prices to push them back up again because of higher demand. But also, too, I have read that fracking, they've been doing a little more fracking. So they, they are doing some things now to produce more here in the country, which is good. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But let's talk about the debt ceiling, because that's going to be, I, I believe, the story for months to come. You may have seen the news about the concerns regarding the debt ceiling of $31.4 trillion being reached. Frankly, I'm not too concerned about the major problems stemming from this as it has been a recurring issue for many, many years. And in fact, if you go back to 1997, look through 2022, the debt ceiling has actually been increased 22 times. So, I mean, it's essentially 
almost once every year. A year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do believe a deal will be reached to avoid jeopardizing the credit worthiness of the government. But my concern is that we need to fix spending as we should not have to keep increasing the debt ceiling every year. And when I say I'm not concerned, what I mean by that is I, I don't think we're going to, again, default on our debt. I don't think, you know, Jamie Dimon actually talked about this. We should not be playing with the credit worthiness of the United States. That would cause major catastrophic issues if we started defaulting on the debt. And I think the politicians, why they don't get along and they like to bicker back and forth, I, I think both the, both sides are smart enough to realize that there needs to be a deal that, that they come to terms with before catastrophe hits. And yeah. that, that's why I'm not concerned about it. And it, it, it just over history. Oh, oh my gosh, they're, they're fighting. Yeah, they've always fought. Right. They're not going to come to a deal. They, they come to come. a deal. Yeah. And, and that's not the problem. The problem is, yeah, we, we need to fix spending. Right. <laughs> and, and the problem is, and this is politics, you know, the, the Democrats want to keep on spending saying don't mess with it. And Republicans saying if we just increase the debt ceiling again, it just gives you the go ahead to keep spending more. Yeah. So this is how unfortunately things work, but they, they do work. Um, and again, I think we will see some spending cuts. Uh, we might see a push towards the, the end here where we get close. And I think it was 2011 we came close yeah. before. I believe the S&P was down about 6.7% during that time frame. So if it does happen and the markets drop, I'm not worried about it. It's not like it's not going to be fixed. It, it, it will be fixed. We will do this. We're a great country. Uh, we will <laughs> increase the debt ceiling. But gosh, we do have to get the, the Democrats to stop doing some spending because you can't just keep doing this because in, in two more years, well, now the debt ceiling is $40 trillion. You know, you've got to put your foot down eventually. Uh, I'm sorry. A, you know, this administration talks about how they've reduced the deficit. A trillion dollar deficit is nothing to be proud of. <laughs> I know, it's still a, deficit. A, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're going to keep pushing higher and higher and higher. And it's like, we, we need it. And of course, you're going to cut the deficit if you have all the COVID spending runoff. Yeah. Right. I almost said, you know, no, no crap. But, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, we need to fix this because that is going to be an issue. Right now, our, our debt to GDP has climbed substantially. We need to curtail our, our, our debt. And, the, the funny thing is I'm not necessarily against deficits if you get the GDP growth because right. I like to look at it's an investment in the country, essentially. And if you're borrowing money to invest and grow, if your growth rate's outpacing the debt level, then it's worth it. It's kind of like we talk to people, if you have a mortgage, well, if your mortgage is 3%, but you can earn 8% on the money, don't pay off the mortgage. Right. It's the same thing, in my opinion, with this, this debt level. If we are able to invest and grow at a faster rate than what we're paying on that debt, it, it's an investment. But right now, we're not. And that debt to GDP level is getting uh, uncomfortably high, I would say. Yeah, and, and you bring up the other side, which is the GDP, because if we could get the GDP to grow, that would, okay, so now it's not as bad. Because it's like a, your situation, you have a credit card worth, eh, we'll say $10,000 on it, your income's $100,000, but if you keep that, maybe that, that credit card goes to 10005 but you make now 115000 a year, the debt's gone up, but your income's gone up more. So if we could have the GDP grow by more, that'd be positive. However, the current uh, administration is not pro-business. I mean, they added regulations. They make it more tougher to, to have businesses grow their their profits and, and you know hire people and so forth. So, I mean, and we have a great labor market. Let's not get that wrong. But you've got to grow businesses, and that, that's a problem. We have a great labor market? For the worker. 
not for growth. That's right. the problem. Right. And right now, if we're not getting production out of the labor market and growing, and right now I think people are very comfortable in their jobs, that's an issue for the growth side of the equation. So while the labor market is strong, and one of the reasons we keep saying that it is kind of, I think, going to help with the recession, the problem of it is I don't see that catalyst to push GDP higher based off the labor market currently. Yeah, and, and I mean, and we have talked about more robotics coming on, yeah. business becoming more efficient. That's what they have to do. But unfortunately, the government is not on the business side. They're almost more against it. They had that 1% tax on, on stock buyback. I mean, they're, they're just not trying to help out businesses. They look at businesses, oh, you you bad guys, you, you're terrible. Well, if they were to try to help the businesses, they would grow the GDP more by maybe more automation, other things to really help out. And it's like, okay, so you're, you're making more money. We can spend more if you want to, but you can't take away the growth side, hurt the businesses, say we're going to tax you on more stuff yeah. to reduce the deficit. So, wow, we went way off on that one. I know, we? yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the long story short of it is I, I'm not worried about yeah. the, the stock market from the debt ceiling. I do think there is some changes that need to occur in Washington to help us over the next few decades. Yes, yeah. I, I, and I, uh, on our social media, uh, somebody's really worried about it. I said, well, we'll probably be fine until the end of the decade. Yeah. But we got to start changing. We got to change the trajectory of where we're going. And we got to start doing that because you can't increase the, the debt ceiling every single year, which is what we're kind of doing. L let me go ahead and open the phone lines, 833 two eight eight zero nine seven three and as always that I get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. You got a, a an equity that you looking at buying or you have now, not sure if you keep it. We'll run over all the fundamentals for you. Uh give us a call, eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Again, that's eight three three two eight eight 0973. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, a business here that uh, everybody knows, and that is uh, Costco. Uh, Costco uh, announced a stock buyback program, but looking at it closely, it's unimpressive to say the least. The program authorized 4.8, I'm sorry, $4 billion worth of buybacks, but that is through January 2027, almost five, five years from now. The, the previous uh, authorization was set to expire in April of this year and was adopted in 2019 with the same $4 billion limit. Yeah, when you look at it, it's kind of interesting. The company only repurchased $1.4 billion worth of shares under the program, so not even half what the authorization allowed for. And, and looking at the market cap for Costco of about $210 billion, if the full $4 billion was implemented, that would only represent 1.9% of the overall shares that are outstanding. Also considering the shares traded about 30 times 2024 earnings, I believe repurchasing shares at this lev level would be a waste of capital. Right. I mean, I, I know buyback programs that right. occupy like 10% of the shares outstanding and they're done within like a two year period. Right. This is just so minute. I, I think we have an company in our portfolio that they bought, or I think they actually bought it and they did it again. I, I want to say 15% of the outstanding shares I don't want to mention the name of the company, but you know what I'm talking about? I, I believe so. Yeah, it's yeah. Financial company. Yeah, financial. Yeah. And, and that is something that is a, a, a positive, but you got to be careful. And, I, and actually, uh, on social media today, somebody said, oh, I hate stock buybacks. I think they're wrong and they're terrible. If done properly, they're not. Yeah. Uh, you bring a big point. If Costco, in, in our opinion, were to buy back more stock now, they'd look terrible yeah. because it's so expensive. You want to get that on a deal. 
I, I'm and I I'm appreciate the fact they announced the four billion dollar stock buyback, but I think over the last period of time there was time they should have bought more than one point four billion. And just because they announce it does not mean that they will do it, which is why we want to get that across to people. Stock buybacks are good if the CEO and the board directors are wise in buying that stock back, not just blankly buy it back. Yeah, and you know, I I hate to say it, but people that say stock buybacks are terrible, I, I, I just never understand that argument because all it is is a return of capital to the shareholders. And I'm sorry, these businesses, they are in business to provide for the shareholders. That's why people invest in the companies. You're an owner in that <laughs> businesses and you want a return of capital. Well, a stock buyback is one way to do that. The reason is they buy back stock. Now as an owner in that company, a shareholder in that company, you get more of the earnings, more of the sales, more of the book value of the company. You're a larger owner, essentially. Your share is worth more. So it, it is a valuable tool. But again, as a shareholder in Costco, if they're trading at 30 times earnings, I've talked about this a lot before, what that means to me is they should have a lot of other opportunities of capital to continue on their growth path. If not, they're buying back stock. Well, they shouldn't be trading at 30 times earnings. Hey, and, you know, it's funny. We'll, we'll stay in Costco. I'm not sure what the growth path, path is because they're in many different places now. Uh, the parking lots are full. They're, and they're a great company. They do very well. But what are they going to do for an encore? I, I just don't see it uh, because I think everybody, and I've actually talked to people saying, yeah, you, you know, I don't go to Costco anymore because I don't need to get, you know, a 50-ounce jar of of Mayonnaise. <laughs> Mayonnaise or whatever it may be. It's just me and my wife now, you know. So <clears throat> with the <clears throat> the aging of the population, could that be a problem going forward to where you don't have the big families, you don't need to buy in bulk uh, so much? And, and the thing, again, we haven't looked at Costco in, in great detail in terms of the conference calls, the SEC right. filings, but it's just not worth it because it's so expensive. My understanding of the business is, <clears throat> Their subscription, their their membership fees is, is right. really what is valuable in terms of the Costco stock, the Costco business. But when you look at that, what, are they going to get more people to to get a membership at Costco? I mean, I feel like they're already so saturated. I, I think most people I know already have a membership at Costco. Right. So are, are they getting new members? And if so, where are they coming from? Where is that growth in membership going right. to come from? And how long will it last? Other thing they could do is they could raise prices for the membership. Right. I'm not sure. I again, not a stockholder in Costco, so I'm not sure if this is something they're planning. But it, you know, let's just say they have the membership. I mean, in theory, they could increase sales and earnings if they increase the membership ten percent. Right. <laughs> but that would piss a lot of people off, and you might lose members. Right. So it, it's it would make people question. Well, do I really need a Costco membership? You know, I I just I, yeah, I can get 50 eggs at Costco, but I cannot. I only really need. 12 eggs. So I'm <laughs> spending the same amount and I'm just wasting a lot more at Costco. Do I really need the membership now? So I, I, I think it, it's, again, it's a great company. I love going to their warehouses. Their their gas prices I know are a great deal, but you got to wait in line a long time for it many times. If they increase too much, that membership I think would lose its value. Now, it's just you and Taylor. I mean, do yeah. you go to Costco to get stuff? Honestly, I haven't been to Costco in months. Yeah, because I, I don't see why you'd go to Costco to, to get... Sometimes I, sixty eggs. Yeah, I I'll tell you, they have my favorite tequila there. They <laughs> they, they have a really good tri tip. Um, uh, we used to get dog food there. We we actually started ordering on Amazon just for simplicity. And it's right. funny I used to hate Amazon, and now I. Use on it. Amazon stock, 
yeah. promote uh, promoter here. It's, but it's, a, it's another good business. It's just so yeah. easy. You know, yeah. you just yeah. like dog food. Do I really need to go pick out the dog food? Or do I just get the same dog food and they just deliver it? And just, right. it make it so easy. And it, it, it's, oh, I feel like I used to knock it so hard a few years ago. Now I'm a, <laughs> a big advocate for it. And I got all these boxes that I got stacked up. Well, <laughs> and, and it's not. And we weren't knocking the company, but knocking the price of the stock. And that's what we're trying to do now. I mean, Costco's a great company. I, you, you cannot knock their business model. But what we try to do is stand up for the small investors so you don't lose tons of money by investing in something that's way overpriced because that's where Costco is right now. I mean, it's it's still pricing. I know they had a bump, uh, I think, like a, a couple of weeks ago or something. But it's still, you have that bump, it's still very pricey. And we're talking here now, you don't go. Now you're going to have kids, and then you'll maybe you got to go. Yeah. You mentioned a big part that, well, now we'll go to uh, Amazon to get the dog food. I know one thing a lot of people love is the, all the toilet paper. I've heard people get toilet paper from Amazon now. So yep, that's what I do. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so and your membership is, is it 95 a year? What is it? Uh, it's like 16 bucks a month or something. Is this six? No. Is it that high? Yeah, but they throw in there like we get the Amazon Prime and we oh, watch. Uh, no, no, I meant uh, Costco. Oh, Costco. You know, I don't even know because I, I, <laughs> I use the, the business one. And that's the funny thing. I can get in with our business memberships. I don't right. even really necessarily have a Costco membership. It's The business has it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but but, but again, I mean, the, the, the point being is that we're trying to help the small investor because yeah. of, of getting away from the hype about how Costco's and kind of break things down and look at them from a fundamental perspective, uh, perspective. And also to say that population is getting older and there's not, we're not having as many kids. Uh, I, I know in our household, we have two 19 year olds. I, I think that in another year or two, they're gonna be gone. I would say, well, we'll have the business Costco membership, yeah. but personally, I, I don't think we'll go to Costco anymore. I mean, what do you need? Is it 60 rolls of toilet paper? I mean, that probably last uh, six months, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And the thing that you have to look at as an investor is, don't get me wrong, there are some companies that deserve to trade at 30 times earnings. You can justify that more. For, for a while. For a while. Right. And that's the reason we don't buy companies that trade at 30 times earnings, because they have to justify that reason for trading at that higher multiple. Many times it comes from growth. So, you know, people know we don't like Tesla. Well, Tesla, they have grown a lot. Obviously, their stock got absolutely hammered, but for years... If Tesla was trading at 30 times earnings, you say, ah, well, you know, I guess maybe you could justify it because they are growing so rapidly. Right. But the problem is that growth has to continue. And the moment that growth stops, you're trying to predict the future too much, essentially. That's why we don't do growth investing is things change so rapidly with competition and new new products coming in to, to take away that market share. All of a sudden that growth falls off. Yeah, that stock price falls. Now, Costco... Why does it trade at 30 times earnings? As an investor, you have to ask yourself, what is the benefit? Why does it have a near doubling of the market multiple right now? The market multiple is uh, around, I think, 17, 17 and a half last time I checked it. So Costco, not quite there yet, but at 30 times is far above the average market multiple. Why does it deserve to trade at a valuation so much above the the, the market right now? Uh, actually, I looked up the P/E ratio is thirty six point two, and the other thing I looked at too is the PEG ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth tells you how much you're paying for the future growth. It's not great, but it's not it's not terrible. It's a three point four because that's the other thing you look at. And all these numbers, you can't pull out one and say I'm going to buy the company. You've got to do all the research, read what's going on, look at all the numbers. I mean. And again, I, people say, oh, you don't like Costco. I, as a business, again, I want to say, I think I've said this four times now, I like the business. You just don't pay too much for business as an investor. And what's kind of funny with Costco 
is you're going to Costco. Why? To get a great deal on things, to buy things on sale. But yet, that's not what's happening with the stock. <laughs> if Costco's trading at 10 times earnings, we'd be all over it. Oh, definitely. Like, I would love to buy Costco, but it's just too expensive. And yep. it's kind of off topic, but I see the phone lines are still empty. I was going to say, you know, it's funny. People are like, oh, when you, you know, you buy on Amazon, you could get it cheaper at, at Costco maybe. But you know what is different when you shop online versus in store? What's that? I don't get sucked into other stuff. <laughs> like, I, when I go to Costco, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, I, I kind of need that. Right. And you'll buy something else where if I'm on Amazon, I'm like, oh, I need dog food. Grab that, check out, delivered. But and I don't get anything else. But don't they have, I've seen on other sites I've been on to where you're buying this and it kind of, I forget what it's called, some type oh, of yeah. thing where, where they can actually, you'll see other things pop up like, oh, that's good. And it's not as good, you're right, as going to Costco yeah. where you walk around and you buy stuff you really don't need. But I think they're trying that online to try to, you know, get you to buy other stuff. And it's for me as a consumer, it's not the same. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever done that. Where yeah. Costco, there's been several times where I'm in there, I'm like, oh, I need, uh, I just want to go there and get some tri-tip. I'm like, ooh, actually, that, that's new. That looks kind of cool. Yeah. And it's just like when you're in there, you're like, I'm here, so might as well get it. Right. Where I think on when you're shopping online, you're there and you're like, all right, I got what I need. If I want something else, I'll... I'll come back in a few hours i'll come back tomorrow and get it you know? <laughs> it's a lot easier than making that trek to costco <laughs> so it, it's i don't know it's funny as i was kind of talking about earlier with the eggs you, you get a better deal at costco so to speak but you could still be spending the same amount and you could actually be having a lot of waste which is right one of the reasons i, I just don't <clears throat> shop there anymore yeah or what you will do is you'll buy something because i've noticed this we'll buy a case of soda which we know don't drink soda we buy the case of soda it's all drink you know they drink it you know, because it's there. Yeah. <clears throat> so it costs you more money by doing that. I do want to promote the newsletter because a lot of the stuff does come from our newsletter. It goes out on Fridays. You want to sign up for the newsletter, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, you'll see the newsletter there right in the middle. Just click on it and sign up for it. It is free. It goes out every Friday. A lot of great information there. And the way it's laid out is pretty good as well. Phone numbers here. Gosh, all lines open. Slow day today on the phones. Uh, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's talk about uh, 3D printing. Because uh, about 10 years ago when 3D printing was all the rage, uh, DDD stock, hit $92 a share, and I was saying this is too much hype and thought investors should stay away. Well, now in 2023, I think it is time to look at perhaps investing in 3D companies. First, to understand how 3D printing works, it begins by adding tiny layers of material one at a time to form an item and fusing them with binding agents, lasers, or other methods. And the parts are grown instead of forged, casted, or molded by machines. And, and General Motors <coughs> made 60,000 waterproof seals using 3D printers on their new hot EV Cadillac Celeste. I think, I I don't even know how to pronounce it, but that's their, I know their that's highest That's why I gave you that car. part. Yeah, no, <laughs> Celeste. <laughs> and, and that'll actually include over 300 3D printed parts just on that vehicle alone. And in 2022, the entire global 3D printing market was around $13.3 billion, a nice increase from $5.7 billion six years ago. I think now, again, maybe time to find value in a 3D printing company. Got to look at the numbers. We haven't looked at those closely. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I was watching uh, Fox Business the other day, and I had heard they had printed it's kind of funny to say, printed some houses. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the first two-story 
three D house was a three D printed house was actually in operation right now. Right, and, and and when you and that's why we read and told you about how it's done because when I was initially thinking a three D printer, like you have this printer that prints things out, no, it actually kind of forms things. As opposed to molding and casting, it actually builds it that way. So it's not like you have a printer that you yeah these massive machines. But I I, I did look real quickly at the the, the numbers here, and, and it's still not that exciting yet. Uh, I went to December two thousand twenty three. The mean of nine analysts is only a, a well, loss of 14 cents. Uh, one analyst thinks it'll make 10 cents, another thinks it'll lose 33 cents. We may miss this because it could keep going up. I think the, the stock price now was, uh, let's see, uh, where's the stock price at? Um, 945, uh, lowest $7.02. So still not a great investment for us because we've got to have earnings, we've got to have a good balance sheet, other things. But I do see this in the future this will become the norm. And uh, it, it's just, you know, and I think someday 3D printing stock could be at, you know, $50 a share, but I just don't think the time, unfortunately, get it yet. You're kind of smiling over there, what do you say? Oh, I mean, it, it, you say it, someday in the future could be at $50 a share. Don't forget, in 2013, Triple D, DDD, was that about $100 a share? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, again, it was all the hype, all the rage. And, you know, we've talked a lot about different things like the cannabis stocks. And, you know, 3D printing is one of the other ones as well where it just got way too far ahead of itself. And, you know, it, it could take, I mean, years. And I mean, right. years to go back to $100 a share. And, you know, there, there could be an opportunity. I mean, I, I think it's a very interesting technology. I think, I mean, gosh, you talk about a housing crisis where a lot of, the issue stems from how much it costs and how many regulations there are to construct that house and all the labor that goes into constructing the house. I hate to say it, but it, it would hurt the labor market somewhat. Yeah. But at the 3D printing, you still need people to operate those 3D printers, but if they they can do the house a lot faster, maybe, I don't know what the numbers look like, but a lot less inexpensive, that would then push down the cost of housing because, well, a lot of the cost for housing comes from the cost to actually build those homes. Right. Well, if you can reduce that, that should help. And when I'm saying the stock at 50, uh, the earnings would have to be around 350 for, for that adjustment. line. And I think it will get there yeah. because this is something new that, that again, it's been around now for about 10 years. Uh, 10 years from now, I think it'll be the norm and they'll be making money and so forth. I just think it's too early to get in to it because it doesn't hit our discipline. And that's one thing that going to get off topic here is that people when it comes to investing they don't stick with their discipline no. and that's why they don't do well we always stick with it we know we might we know i i'm confident that 3d printing at some point in time will be at 50 dollars a share but it doesn't fit our philosophy or our discipline we will not do it until that happens my only thing to counter that is what if there's something that comes out to replace 3d printing and there's something that is more for, for effective. Printing? Well, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe it's more efficient, and 3D printing loses out to those other competitors in there, and there is right. an, a more advanced way to do it for less cost. That is, again, the big reason right. we don't do growth investing. Yes. Because things can change, and with these growth stocks, you're trying to predict out many times 10, 15, 20 years down the road and trying to justify that higher multiple, as we were talking about, it's just too hard to look 10, 15 years down the road. <laughs> you know, we've been having such a great conversation. I look over like, oh my gosh, we got Terry, we got Anthony, we got Sean uh, Harrison, our financial planner is here to talk. So, so let's get uh, on with the show there. Uh, if if uh, Terry, Anthony, and Sean, if you can uh, just kind of hold on with us, uh, we're going to get to you. We do want to talk to our uh, financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Harrison, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. We're talking about the life insurance review here. 
And uh, I, I want to hear more of your thoughts on that because it is important and how often it should be done. So uh, when what should people do with this review? What, what should they be looking at? Well, before I talk about that, I want to clarify something um, last week. Last week I was talking about 529 to Roth rollovers, and someone called in and asked uh, a question about it. Um, so I just wanted to clarify something real quick. Um, first off, for a 529 to Roth rollover, you can't do that until 2024. So you have to wait a year from now before that's possible at all. <laughs> the second thing is the question was, can you change the beneficiaries and then you know do rollovers? And with 529 plans, you can change the beneficiaries to other members of the family, but it looks like the consensus is, at least at this point, is if you change a beneficiary, it restarts that 15-year clock that you have to wait before you can roll that money into a Roth. So you want to be careful about changing beneficiaries of that if the ultimate plan is, is to do those rollovers. So just wanted to touch on that real quick. Um, but as far as the life insurance goes, um, it's more common that I see people that are overinsured versus underinsured, which means we're paying for something that, that maybe they don't need. Um, as you get older, as your kids grow up, as you accumulate more wealth, get closer to, to retirement, you have less of a need for a death benefit. And there comes a point where you can let policies go and stop paying for what you don't need. Um, with term policies, it's really simple. You just cancel them and then you, you don't have to pay for them anymore. Uh, with permanent policies like universal and, and whole life, it can be more complicated, and it's it's more common to see universal. So I'll, I'll touch on that. But with universal policies, you you're, you're paying into this policy, and when you first get it, the premiums that you're paying in are more than what's required to keep the policy going. So that extra amount that you're paying in builds cash value. As you get older, the cost of insurance gets more and more expensive, which then starts to eat into that cash value. So you get a situation where you have a policy, you're still paying into it, you've got some cash value built up, but if you keep going on that same track, perhaps in 10 years, the policy is gonna lapse and you lose all the cash value that you had and you lose the death benefit. So if you're taking a look at this, in many cases it can make sense to cancel that policy, which stops the premiums now, and also you get to pull that cash value out, which in many cases can be tax-free if the premiums that you've paid in are greater than the cash value. So it's something that you want to look at because I see this quite a bit. You know, people get, um, you know, in their 50s and their 60s, maybe they don't need the coverage anymore. And, oh, I've got these policies. I, you know, I haven't really looked at them in a while. And you really need to because you could be losing, you know, 10s, 20s, 30s, uh, thousands of dollars and the premiums that you'll pay into them if those policies lapse and, you, and you're not aware of it. And, and you know, and I'm just kind of, as you're talking here, I'm kind of listening. I'm wondering how many people kind of just forget about it. Because I know a lot of times now premiums are automatic, come from their checking account, and they're just doing it like many subscriptions, and they're paying for something they really don't need. Yeah, no, it, it definitely happens all the time. People pay monthly or they'll just get their annual bill and they treat it like anything else. Um, okay, here's my bill. I'm just going to pay it and move on. But, you know, you really need to look at that. And that's my, the advice isn't that everyone out there needs to cancel all the insurance that they have. In many cases, it, it does make sense to keep coverage if you need it. Or maybe you have a policy that just doesn't have very much cash value. But as long as you pay those premiums, it'll stay in force for the rest of your life. And the return of that death benefit relative to the, to the future premiums that you have is 
is good. So that in that case, it can make sense. But you want to review these things. As I, I just met with a guy a couple of weeks ago that had four policies, and we determined to let three go and keep one of them um, just because, you know, we were able to get some cash value out now. Um, but also, one, it, it did make sense to keep, even though he didn't need the death benefit. The, the, the return of the death benefit was was helpful, so we kept it. So, um, you know, it's important to review that. And I would say it's also important to review that maybe not with an insurance agent whose job is to sell you more insurance, <laughs> right. but someone who, you know, looks at it objectively to say, you know what, this you can keep, this you, you really don't need anymore. You, you can take the value and, and, and go with it. And the thing I look at too with the insurance is we always kind of talk about the opportunity cost. Because I've seen before people are like, well, but if I if I stop paying into it, I'm going to lose everything that I put into it. <laughs> and the problem that you have to look at is, well, what's the opportunity cost of those future cash flows that you're putting into it if you were to invest it properly? And we always kind of say sometimes you got to take take one step back to go two steps forward. And yeah, it sucks. But the thing is, you probably should have never done the insurance policy years ago. But now, what is going to be best for you in this moment going forward? Not Oh my gosh! I did this now. I'm stuck into it. And the other thing too is that they, yeah, you you might be losing money, but you were covered at that time frame. Had you died during that time frame, you've been covered. You don't say that same thing about your insurance with your car. Like, oh, well, I lost my money because I didn't have a car accident. No, you were protected the whole time. Well, I'm yeah. talking more about the 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 insurance policies. I'm I, doing I, my yeah. air quotes that are right. are are for investment. investment. Oh, I see. I, I and you know, it's like, oh well, you know, if you do this, you're going to have all this tax free money down the road, and it, it's many times the projections don't pan out and life insurance is not for investment yeah. And, yeah. and i'm talking about the people that are five years into it let's say right. and all of a sudden well now if i stop it i just lost all the premiums i put into it sometimes that is still the right thing to do because now you have to look at those future premiums that you're putting in can you grow those faster outside of doing that insurance policy and i think many times the answer to that is yes yep well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, again, a great conversation on life insurance. And again, this is why you are there as a financial planner, because you look at the, these things. You're not going to try to sell them another policy. You look at it from a fundamental point of view saying, don't need it. Let's cancel it. Let's do something else with it. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, as uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner, he is a CFP. He is on a salary. He does not charge any commissions, sell your product. He is there to help you out on a fee basis. If you want to have a free consultation with him, call him at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Terry. Terry, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah. yeah. So how do you start? If you're, I mean, you, you know, you've listened to shows like yours, and if you're not somebody that's investing $10,000 a pop in the stock market, how do you get started for somebody that's looking to do, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s, I'm looking at building wealth towards retirement and I want to put, you know, a hundred, 300, 500 bucks out of my paycheck every month and start investing in the stock market. Cause you don't feel like you could go to, you know, a financial planner or a broker because you're just a small fry. Right. How, how does somebody, how does somebody at that point, how do you go into the market and then start to kind of 
continue to do that. I mean, you guys are giving great information, but for a lot of people, you don't feel like, well, well, I, that sounds great, but you know, profit, earnings, everything else. I, I I'm not there. Right. How, not, how do you yeah. start? And, and what we have to do is get you there. And you brought up a good point. Uh, if you have a 401k at work, you should definitely be putting there in, in your 401k, especially if you get a match from from your employer. Now, what we give is that, well, you're not going to be about individual companies now, but investing is a long-term cycle. Now, if you do it right and you put away, we'll just say $500 a month in your 401k, in five years, you're going to have a decent portfolio with, with growth. We'll say it'd be between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. You leave that job. Now what you do is like, oh, well, let me call and talk to Brent and Chase because now I've got this rollover. I would like to have them manage it because I like how they look at things. So investing is a long-term thing that you have to do. First place I tell people, start with a 401k or start with an IRA because you're going to get a tax deduction for it, you're going to get benefits for it. Uh, and what you have to do is you have to pull out uh, a good mutual fund in that 401k. Yeah, and if you are looking outside the 401k, because are you talking about a 401k, Terry? You're talking about just extra cash that you're looking at investing. I'm talking about I I work an hour, I, I work an hourly job. Mm -hmm. I make decent hourly wage, but I don't have a 401k. I don't have a retirement. But I'm looking at how do I start building beyond that? Okay, well. One thing is they should have something for you here shortly because it is a California law that you'll you know, have some type of retirement. <laughs> Your employer needs to call us. We'll yeah. do it for him. <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, as Brent said, I, I would definitely look at starting an IRA, maybe a Roth IRA, depending on your tax situation, just because you get the tax benefits for those two accounts. And, you know, the hardest part about starting is, uh, you know, I did a segment on Fox 5 this last week talking, you have to determine what philosophy makes most sense to you. And listening to our show, we're what we call that value investor. If it makes sense, and you'd want to stick to that value type approach. Now, starting out, Generally, we tell people we don't like mutual funds, but if you're starting out with just 100 bucks a month, let's say, into something, you're not going to really be able to diversify the portfolio into equity. So you want to find a good value mutual fund that aligns with your philosophy. Let's say, you know, I, I don't like Brent and Chase's value strategy. I'm a growth investor. Well, then find a good growth mutual fund. I don't recommend that, obviously, but that's where you kind of start off. And then once that builds up, then you can kind of have a little more comfortability in that plan. And then, you know, when you don't feel like a small fry and you want to actually call somebody to help, then at that point you've built up that nest egg and now you've kind of started to build your assets over time. And and what could happen too is after you start, that's always the hardest thing. You start with that mutual fund, maybe a year, two years down the line, now you have enough to start diversifying that portfolio into equities and actually basing it off of, you know, what we're talking about here on the show and, and finding good companies. And, and Terry, also too, we, we do uh, for companies, we do 401ks. And in the 401ks, we have a similar situation where people are starting at $50 a month we do have a mutual fund that we use in those 401ks. And once people get to 5,000, we do switch them over to where we can manage money for them. Uh, we don't know the name of the mutual fund off the top of our head here, but if you want, give us a call at the office and uh, myself or Chase will give you that mutual fund that you can start with. But I really highly recommend that you do either the Roth or the retirement, the IRA. And if, again, your employer should be having a 401k for you. But, but that's a way to start. And, and I, I just don't know the name of the, the fund off the top of my head, but it's a good value fund. And uh, it, it's just a good place for you to start. So, so, to, so to start a Roth or an IRA, I just go to my bank and, and they have them there? I would recommend probably like a, a, a brokerage firm. So I wouldn't go to the bank because they'll try and sell you products. But you know if you go to like a, a Charles Schwab, 
A little biased towards Charles. Says, I, don't, I, I think when we give you the, if you call the office, we give the mutual fund company. I think you can call them directly. I think no, you're not. You're, you're not sure. I, I would, yeah, I would just in case the mutual fund all of a sudden changes philosophy. I, I would still go to probably a Charles Schwab. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just always afraid of sending people somewhere else because they like, oh, well, let's do this an annuity. Yeah, because <laughs> we've done mutual fund companies before, and right. it's a pain to get out of the mutual fund company. Really? Yep. So. Yeah, I, I know we're probably disagreeing here a little bit, but, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, Terry, what you can do, too, is just send us a message on the website. I, I have a couple other ideas okay. for you as well. Uh, send us a message on the website uh, or uh, send me an email, give us a call, whatever works easiest for you. I, I, just a couple ideas I have for you as well. Yeah, because yeah, we're doing it just started. We do want to help the guy that's in your situation, and we do look at things because we help, like, our clients have their sons and daughters and they're very young they don't have very much money we help them get going because investing is hard to do but we want to get people on the right track and it takes time that's why i said the five-year period so yeah yeah send us uh, send chase an, an email there from the website smartinvesting2000.com and we'll send you some information to help you out how's that awesome thanks guys okay terry thanks Colin. have a good one bye-bye all right that opens the phone line 833-288 zero nine seven three that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three let's go back out to san diego and speak with sean sean you're in the smart best show with brent chase how can we help you yeah hey hi can you guys hear me okay yep here you good okay perfect yeah um okay so uh my topic and what i like to talk about is um gold <laughs> and just really in the last few years uh it's kind of perplexing to me because, you know, in the last three months, gold has gone up from October 19th till now, uh, almost $300 an ounce. And, you know, it's about 110 or $15 away from the all-time high, uh, which is dead about, I don't know, a year ago. And um, it's kind of weird, though, because, you know, um, the rule of thumb is that, you know, gold increases when the dollar strength decreases based on comparative to other currencies throughout the world. But, you know, in the last two years, I don't think I've ever seen drops and in increases in daily prices of gold, like forty and fifty dollars, weeks, months, like every day sometimes for like a week, and it just it's so unbelievable. And then also too, I know that in the precious metal field a few years ago, like few, well, two or three, there were professionals talking about how gold they were thinking of three, four, and even five thousand dollars. Now, at this time, like we're in 2020, uh, it, it hasn't happened, you know, and I'm wondering, and I guess my question, just kind of put this, you know, all together into a question form, is there, or has there been, combined with the, maybe the COVID, the pandemic, any type of maybe manipulation as to why the market isn't better or the gold isn't higher? Do you guys have any insight of that? About that? I mean, there's no definite things. I mean, a couple of things I think of, I think some of the gold money is now doing cryptocurrencies, so I think that's kind of left. The thing that's with gold okay. that's kind of uh, makes me question what's going on is that gold is supposed to be an inflation hedge. We had okay. high inflation, gold did nothing. Uh, it did go up a little bit when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, so that's, again, another uh -huh. good thing. But I, the only reason why now you brought up why gold is going up is because of the dollar declining. And it's still not a low dollar. It's okay. coming from a very high amount. But we talked earlier in the show that we do see, we think rates will turn around, go back up a little bit, 
which means the dollar gets stronger, better economy, mm-hmm. dollar gets stronger, gold won't do as well. So gold is so hard to predict because it's just a piece of metal. It doesn't pay dividends. There's no values behind it. Right. Uh, it's it's like a gambling piece of metal is what it actually is. And it's funny. I, I, just, okay. I think the dollar is going to weaken a little bit against other currencies. I think a lot of the other banks around the, the world were a little slow to the party, so to speak, mm-hmm. in raising interest rates. So, I, you know, we know that uh-huh. the euro and U.S. dollar hit parity. I, I think you could see some normalization in, in other currencies around the world. We're not Forex traders or anything, so no. I, I wouldn't take that as a right. <laughs> a piece of right. advice no, to, to go trade Forex. Yeah. But it's something that I, I am kind of to viewing because what happens is also uh, companies and stocks, if the U.S. dollar strengthens, it hurts the overseas profit. So I think you're going to see some normalization there. But from the gold perspective, I think the problem is people always try and find these correlations with gold. You talk about inflation going, well, it's an inflation hedge. Well, that didn't really work. You know, you talk about the, the strengthening and weakening of the U.S. dollar. I, I think there's just too many question marks around gold where at the end of the day, it's just a piece of metal and it's still based off of who's going to buy that gold in the market. It's still a supply and demand based market. And if people aren't buying it, the price isn't going to go up. And I'll tell you too, the thing on the $3,000, what happens is as the the price is higher, you're going to see more just dollar fluctuation. If let's say 1% of a thousand is a lot smaller than 1% of 3000. So you're going to see that, that move in terms of dollar terms a little bit more, but you know, I just, I don't like gold. We've used it as an inflation hedge in the past. I frankly right. don't know if we'll ever use it again because it, it just, right. it's a piece of metal and you can't value right. the earnings or the rents or even the interest from it. it it's just really what the next person will pay from it. So I, and these talking heads, you're going to hear people, gold's going to 10,000. Right. Right. Know? And, and I would say, if you want the best return on gold, I think the best thing to do is buy your special lady a gold necklace. You're getting gold plus you get the best return uh-huh. because she's going to be happy because yeah. other than that, there's really no value to it, yeah. you know? So, and that, that's the yeah, hard no, part. So, so in, in a sense, like comparing it to, and this could be totally off base, of course, and let's just take a stock like, you know, which is always a safe bet, Coca-Cola, okay, or maybe IBM or something like that. Right. It's never going to go up that much, but it's a solid stock for your you know portfolio or whatnot. But gold could kind of be looked at that way too. Could gold be kind of put into the stock market? Yeah, yeah. And, and I got to correct you know, one thing I said because I said I said gold had no value to it. I got to hey. correct that. You don't know what no, the value no, is, right? <laughs> right? So gold does have value, but you know what the value is. So I want to make sure I correct my my yeah. words on that. And I was going to say too. I mean, I again wouldn't use it and. I, I just pulled up GLD, so that that generally is, uh-huh. is the probably easiest way to invest in gold. It's just an ETF that that owns gold, but you trades like a stock essentially. But I looked at the ten-year right. return for GLD; it's up eleven okay. percent for a ten-year period. Uh-huh. You made eleven percent total, no dividends uh-huh. or anything. Ten-year right. period. Ten-year period. Right. Wow. Your total return eleven percent. Wow. So I I just oh, I don't like it. Yeah. It, it just I would much rather yeah. be a, a business owner through, you know, buying stocks. You know, uh, I'd rather buy like real estate investment trust, the public REITs where we collect those rents. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot more opportunity. And, and gold, I think, is many times an emotional investment where it makes people feel good because it's, you know, diversification away from things. But I just, there's no way to value it. And if I can't value something, I don't want to invest in it. Yep. And do you kind of, do you kind of is that kind of across the board, like uh, palladium and platinum, do you feel that way with the other metals yes. too? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Okay. Well, appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. I, I listened to you guys for a while, for like about two, three years. I really uh, like you guys a lot. So well, good. Appreciate it. Thank you well, so much. Well, for well thanks for listening. Time. Sign up for the yeah. newsletters, too. I think you might like the mm-hmm. newsletter at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. And uh, don't be All a stranger. Right. All right, Sean? All right. Thank okay. you so much, guys. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Have a good day. All right. Let's quickly go out to uh, speak with Tony. 
Tony, you're on the Smart Best Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, I live in San Diego, and ever since uh, post-COVID, I've been kind of nibbling on a couple of these high-dividend-paying stocks that they were crashed. One is AGNC, the other one is IEP, and uh, right now I've accumulated a pretty decent amount of surplus on those because the stock price just kept on going up higher, and uh, they're still paying a very juicy dividend, so I'm just asking what do you guys just take it on these should i just go ahead and liquidate and get out or just kind of ride it uh, because they're on an upswing and they just keep going up well, well let's talk about a little bit uh the one we're going to look at is agnc investment uh i see it's a reit mortgage which tells me they have a lot of mortgages in the portfolio that's what they're doing you really got to understand Correct. what those mortgages are uh what are they for what are they doing? You know, how much premium is there and so forth? Because as a company goes, they've got, there's no PE ratio, no price of sales. We do have a price to book value looks good of 1.3 versus nine. Price to cash looks good, 4.7 versus 2.8. Uh, we do see their five-year estimated growth rates a negative 1.8%. Here's the exciting point for you is a 12.5% dividend, but there's no payout ratio because there's no earnings to justify that. And what really worries me is those mortgages, what are they? Because if that starts faltering, that dividend yield can come down, which will hurt the value of the stock price. Uh, it, it's just, as a mortgage rate, it's kind of hard to determine. Chase, do you have anything you want to say on this one? Yeah, I was going to say real quick. I mean, the current price is $11.53. 52-week highs, fifteen twenty one. The low seven thirty. I see year-to-date, it's up about 11%. I see three months up 53%, but over the last one year, it's down 12%. So I think a lot of people have, like yourself, invested in for the dividends. But, I mean, when I look at the earnings going forward, they're still $2.35, but that is down from $3.03 in 2022. And then I look at the 2024, it's a dollar. 92 cents so Ooh. it looks like these rising interest rates are impacting the the mortgages obviously so that's something that that has scared me away from these in the past and just kind of understanding what they do exactly i'm not quite sure i i believe they just own mortgages i'm not sure why they're structured as a reach so just the structuring is kind of strange you, you know if you don't understand it, I would say stay away from it. And this is something that, that I'm concerned about, especially with those earnings falling 22% in 2023, then 18% in 2024. I don't like to be in a business that sees declining earnings. And, and really understand what those mortgages are. Are they uh, commercial? Are they residential? If they're residential, you know, what is the rate that they have? Because a very high rate, they could be refinanced. So problem with the mortgage rates is that you really are buying something that could be faltering down the road. What's the credit rating on them credit as well? Rating. You, you want to yeah. make sure to get that high yield, you want to make sure they're not investing in low mortgage quality. And then all of a sudden yeah. they start defaulting and you know the economy slows down and all of a sudden this company just goes bankrupt. And yeah, you got a nice dividend for a little bit and then you lost everything. And one thing too, I'd point out the dividend is I don't know if it's a fixed dividend or if it kind of is changes based yeah. off of it is, it is a, it is a fixed dividend okay, it is okay. A fixed dividend. And, and tony it sounds like you have it a profit better. yeah it sounds like you have a profit on this i would say take the profit because the future you just can't tell what the future is going to happen so i would say take the profits buy something that you can have a positive future and chase point out the earnings per share keep falling year after year after year eventually that's going to be a problem so i'd say take the profit and look for something else that is going to grow as close to that all right well there's the closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 
888-546-4306 or visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com and from our daily educational information on investing tips go to our Facebook page Smart Investing with Brent Chase we'll see thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show we'll be back next week have a great weekend we'll talk with you soon so amusing to think that I did all that and may I say